Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the podcast. Today's guest is Miss Ann E. McMills. Miss McMills' career extends across the many facets of the lighting world, from theater, including Broadway and the West End, to television and theme parks, to architectural lighting, industrials, concerts, cruise ships, award shows, dance, and opera. In addition to designing her own work, Anne has assisted many Tony Award-winning Broadway designers, mounting productions throughout the world. Anne is a proud member of United Scenic Artists Local 829, as well as the author of the Assistant Lighting Designers Toolkit and 3D Printing Basics for Entertainment Design. She is also the head of lighting design at San Diego State University. Recent work includes Noel Noel with the San Diego Symphony, All is Calm with the San Diego Opera, Sense and Sensibility with South Coast Rep, and Beachtown with the San Diego Rep. For further information, visit www.annmcmillslighting.com. That's annmcmillslighting.com. Sit back and enjoy the show. What the best place to put this is. Okay. All right. So uh, here we are. Um, so now we are we are recording. We are live. Uh, I am. My name is Rich Bryant, and I am here. I'm the host of this uh, this podcast. And sitting uh, across from me via the magic of Skype is Miss Anne McMillis. Is that McMills. correct? McMills. 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 Yeah. Ah. <laughs> no problem. That's a common mistake. <laughs> And you are joining me from your, your office? Yes, my home office in San Clemente, California, beautiful Southern California. <laughs> and uh, you are in the middle of, uh, uh, you're at San Diego State University, is that correct? Yes, I'm the head of lighting design at San Diego State. So this is my fifth year there and, uh, you know, doing our best to send and, out the most amazing students we can in the world. That's where we are. <laughs> And uh, so, what are you, what is your official uh, your official title uh, at the school? Head of lighting design. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. and you're a you're a professor, uh, I assume. Yeah, I'm an associate professor right now. Hopefully, going for full next year. <laughs> fingers crossed. I, I I've got my fingers crossed for you. <laughs> um, you are you are also a, a designer yourself, obviously, mm -hmm. and you are an author of uh, of some books that have uh, that have made their way um, that are important, and, we're, and we'll get to them um, a little bit later. But uh, I guess what I wanted to start it with was just giving a little bit of background to the audience um, about who you are, uh, what uh, what are some of the things that you're currently working on, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, sounds great. Well, I uh, I started, um, you know, with a dream as a lighting designer. I've loved lights since I was a little kid <laughs> and uh, in a very geeky way and um, just always knew this is what I wanted to do. So I went to, you know, college and grad school for lighting design. Um, I went to undergrad at Millican University and grad school at Rutgers University Um just always knew I wanted to be something big and in lighting. And so that led me to a Broadway career, which was, I was very blessed. I worked with some amazing designers, um, you know, Ken Billington, uh, Brian McDevitt, Elaine McCarthy, like amazing designers that I was just so thrilled to learn from. Um, and I did that. I worked as a Broadway associate for almost a decade. And then um, at, you know, towards the end, actually the whole time, the reason I got my MFA is because I knew I always wanted to teach. So I came out to California to teach um, and left that sort of sort of behind, although I still do associate work and I still design my own career uh, stuff all the time. And um, yeah, here here I am. So I was at Cal State LA before this and now I'm at San Diego State and this is my fifth year and just, you know, just loving life and living the good life in Southern California. <laughs> and the and the living's easy, hey? <laughs> it is. It really is. I mean, it's December 18th and I'm in shorts, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Well, truth be told, I'm I'm here in Trinidad, and I I'm in shorts as well. So I bet I think, <laughs> I, I think our uh, cold uh, cold living uh, listeners are probably going to be shaking their fists at us. Going, <laughs> How do we get that job? I know it's a good a good problem to have. <laughs> so you you said that you had uh well, had been interested in being something big uh, in turn in in whatever it is that you were going to do. What were some of the, your inspirations uh, prior to, to really finding 
that lighting was your uh, was your niche. I don't know. And I guess being something big, like, I don't know if I'm anything big yet, but like, um, or at all, but I, I wanted to work in the big system, I guess. So that's where Broadway came in. Cause I always felt that was like, I liked being a little cog in a big machine, you know? Um, but going into lighting, I just, um, as far as inspirations getting into lighting, I don't know, you know, my mother was in community theater, so she was an actress in community theater, and she would ask me to audition with her. And I typically did not audition with her, um, but I would go help with load-ins and stuff. And, you know, my first load-in I went to, they said, you know, hey, you want to come build the set or whatever? And I said, no, I want to do that. You know, and I saw somebody up a ladder pulling some old ancient Fresnel down. And I didn't know why, but I said, I want to do that, you know, and um I had done some lighting in high school and uh, the two boys did not let girls do lighting. Uh, you know, that's how that's how it went back then. <laughs> so I yeah. decided that I would just go to community theater with my mother. And that's when I was like, you know, I want to do that. Um, so, yeah, that kind of began my career. But I'm very lucky. I just I've always wanted to do it. You know, a lot of people don't find their calling until later. And that's, you know, everybody's got their own thing. But I was really lucky to find it early. I mean, sure, I went through the things of I wanted to be a paleontologist when I was a kid, you know, like little things like that. Yeah. But <laughs> as soon as I was, you know, adultish, right, I was able to figure out that lighting was the thing for me. I, uh, I, uh, I found that with the, the few people that I've had the opportunity to, to speak with and interview, the, that the parental role, the parents being interested or having maybe a creative itch or something, to, or tends to make uh, them more receptive to their children getting involved in it. I, mm -hmm. I think like my parents were active in, uh, in going to community events or mm -hmm. music or things like that. And I think there's a, I don't want to say there's a stigma, but I think there's short shrift given to the community programs, the, the high school programs, because they, they really are important because they really do help set the tone and give young people Mm -hmm. an opportunity to to say maybe I might be good at this maybe I maybe I want to try it um, yeah, I agree. You know, it was a real outlet for my mother. She's a dancer, a singer, an actress. She's also an author, you know, mm -hmm. so it's all these things that influenced me as a young girl. And I think, you know, people always say, well, how did you get into theater? And for many years, I thought, I don't know, it just sort of happened. But no, actually, you know, I was going to things with my mother and was very influenced by her artistic ability and her interest in the arts and was exposed to all these beautiful, wonderful things that change our culture. You know, it's very exciting as a young person. And so I think that's, I think looking back now, that's ultimately what got me, you know, had the bug bite me from an early age. <laughs> is, uh, is so that with that experience, now that you are the, the educator, mm -hmm. how do you see uh, yourself passing along that kind of feeling to to the students that now you have the the opportunity to work with. Well, I you know I have older students now because it's mostly grads and some up, un, upper undergrads, um, but I still think there's that role. You know, I'll meet sort of the freshman actors or you know the, they're required to hang and focus some of our shows, and um, sometimes I'll guest teach in some of those classes and have taught those classes in the past, certainly earlier in my teaching career. And I always say like the one thing that's the most important about those classes is just getting them excited, like letting mm -hmm. them know how cool and fun lighting is, because you know? <laughs> it's very easy to get bogged down in the technical and the, the boring, like here's what an ellipsoidal reflector spotlight is, you know, like you can get really bogged yeah. down in that stuff and to sort of excite them and show them how much fun this career can be. Um, and I'm lucky to be around all these young people that are still excited about their careers, you know, so I can, I can, uh, feed off that and help, um, foster that experience that this is a really exciting, fun career and you'd get to do art for a living, you know, and, and sort of promote that for the younger students. I, uh, I noticed that when probably you and I were, were in getting interested into, into, into theater, mm -hmm. I know that one of my avenues was, uh, was the, the soundtracks. Um, like I could, probably sing all of Les Mis right now because <laughs> we listen to it so much. Yes. Uh, you know, but we, I remember the, the students being really motivated by the musicals, uh, Phantom, 
Cats, you know, the, the whole Sondheim. Rodgers and Hammerstein was kind of, I don't want to say on its way out, but I remember doing South Pacific and thinking these are kind of corny songs and this is not, nothing against them. I think that we should, they're absolutely wonderful. But when the next generation of, of musicals came along, at least, like I said, for, for what I believe myself, uh, it, it took my imagination away. Be, being, a, being someone who was a, a Broadway, part of the Broadway uh, experience, how did you um, experience the, the, the transitions in, in, in lighting and the expression of theater through that, that form? Well, it's funny you say that about going back to what you were saying about the younger kids and musicals. Um, yeah, I feel like growing up, it was sort of a niche thing to be interested in musicals. And you were kind of geeky for being it that way and kind of uncool. You know? <laughs> and oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> just a little, right? And that has changed throughout the years. You know, um, I, I guess it goes in cycles. Everything goes in cycles. But then we got the birth of, you know, High School Musical and Glee and um, you know, even just things as so you think you can dance, like all that stuff has brought into the mainstream this sort of um, musical world in a way. Um, and now doing the musicals once a year on TV, that no matter how you feel about it, it, it does expose people to that. So I think culturally, it's more uh, okay to be into musicals where it wasn't as a kid. Um, but because of that, we sort of all had our little group, right? We were all the geeky theater kids and we all loved musicals and um, going into Broadway from there, it was just more of us, quote unquote, you know, and okay. sort of the the sense of belonging in this place where, you know, I mean, Broadway is the church of musicals, right? Like we, you know, yes, there are plays too. And yes, they are just as valid, but the musicals really drive that economy. And so I think it's um, something that's so special. And um but watching Broadway, it went through cycles as well, like in the times that I was there. Um, you know, it was sort of this traditional musical world that went through a stage of as the high school musicals were going on, it went through these jukebox musical stages. You know, we had songs, uh, you know, we had Beach Boys musicals, we had Beatles musicals, we had all these different things going on. And they weren't as successful, I think, as some of the other musicals that were more original. So it's interesting so, to watch that wave as well. So so, so just so we can kind of have a, a category. So when you refer to jukebox musicals, mm -hmm. you're talking like if they, they took like the Beatles and you said the Beach Boys, mm -hmm. um, something that was more around, crafted around the sound of a specific band. So Green Day's American Idiot, would, would that fall into that category? It would, yes. And one of the good ones, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, I, again, I, I, I can... I play that in in the stagecraft class that I have, mm -hmm. and my students go, "That's a musical, right?" And right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah we it do is. a queuing project to it. I love it. Although that storyline had some issues, but yes, that's the kind of thing. Uh, Jersey Boys would be one of the ones that's really well known that survived. But a lot of them, like Jersey Boys, um, took the songs of the band and wove it into the story of the band a lot of jukebox musicals were just the music of the band woven into some random story so they weren't always as successful um but yeah i think since that that era had gone on we're now back at another place in musicals that are much more successful i mean hamilton come on right like <laughs> oh like th that's that's the other one i show in class there was a there was a student who uh, didn't say a lot in class. I mm -hmm. played a, the I played the the version that Lin Manuel did in at the White House when ah. he was when he was working on it. Mm -hmm. And there was a student who rapped completely along with it. Oh, it, it blew <laughs> my mind. I, you know, it's there. There, there's a weird thing where I, again, I only I can only speak for myself where I find. I have my little world and this is the world I understand it. Mm -hmm. And and then these students, they just completely surprised me. There was a, another student uh, who uh, I was I was reading uh, a setup for, for, for a play for, for mm -hmm. the lighting design class. And he's like, isn't that rent? I went, yeah. you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I, I think the the. 
the to, to to kind of come back to the 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 type of musical i think it's i think it's fascinating that there seems to be kind of a a I, okay, how, how do I want to put this? The, for a while, I felt like every every musical on Broadway was a Disney property, mm. and then all of a sudden, the 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 singer songwriters, the Cindy Loppers, the the Green Days, mm. and whatnot, started creating their their musicals, and then it be, and then you had the Spamalots, and and it, it kind of said, okay, maybe not everything is going to be written for someone who's six and under, and their parents are gonna have to listen to. Let it go, which is a fantastic right. song. <laughs> yes, but, but have to listen to that on repeat mm-hmm. over and over and over. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was oh, just no. gonna say, and it's interesting that it becomes um, a lot of what we're doing now are things that exist already. Like we're doing Frozen now, we do the Frozen musical. You know, there's like all those things that are happening that way too. Shrek is on. You know. Um, and maybe that's the Disneyfied version you're talking about as well. So yeah, it does go through. And I don't ever tell my tell anyone I'm an expert on musical genre, but it is interesting to watch the waves happen, even mm-hmm. there. Just like any other art form, has things that become more popular and then less popular. Yeah, there was there was a there there was an episode. I believe it was either of 60 Minutes or Sunday Morning, uh, one of the, the the news programs, and they did a behind the walkthrough of of Frozen. Mm. Of all the all the technical stuff that that went along with it, and it's amazing, you know, between the the video projection floors and the video projection mm. scenery and the the thirty some odd uh, computers that it takes to to run it and all this. I could you have ever imagined from where you started to where it is today, all this change? Hmm. I'm not sure. Not in such a tight time, perhaps. Okay. You know, and I, I think about that, like, um, you know, a lot of teachers, when they get into teaching, they, if they haven't had enough experience outside in the world, they regurgitate what they learned as students. But in a career like ours, that's not possible because, you know, what you and I learned as students was six by nines, you mm-hmm. know, and things like that. And if you taught that now, it's like, that's like teaching dinosaurs, you know, there's, there's no way to do it. Um, but, you know, now we're in the world of LEDs and moving lights and all those video projections you're talking about and stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know that we could have seen that back then. You know, it's, it's really because I think the growth of technology is um, exponential. You know, it just goes faster and faster and faster faster and so I think um part of it too was the popularity of it though I think if the uh, American idols of the world didn't exist I think markets like that drove the prices of technology down for those of us in theater you know yes Disney has a lot of money that they can put into their musicals sure but um you know not every other producer does so I think like those kind of popularity mainstream things that we were talking about before is what drove the technology down and then allowed us to use more of it in quote regular theater you know so I think it's um it's just gonna keep going <laughs> well, yeah I I'm I'm always uh, amazed with every few months a student will will bring me something and say have you seen this mm-hmm. do you know anything about that how do we get one of those yeah you know, and and it's great I I had a, a review recently with some students and I and I, I told them, I said, what you whatever they created was an accomplishment. You guys are helping teach me to better understand the way you view what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I have my perspective, but my perspective is grounded in some 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 fundamentals and basics that are important to me. Right. Um, spe- speaking about that, uh, your, your 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 I believe it was your first book, the 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 assistant lighting designers uh, Tool, tool, toolkit. Tool, mm-hmm. toolkit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as you were writing that, what did you find the 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 the, the kind of the, the meat and potatoes that you really wanted to pass along? That you said, if if you if you don't get anything else, if all uh, I want you to get this, mm. what 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 would be those things? Gosh, that's a hard one because that that book is my baby, the Assistant Lighting Designer's Toolkit, because like the very first line of the introduction is this is the book I wish I had when I was in school. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it is because (laughs) my whole career was trial by fire, you know, being under the wings of people or thrown into the position and trying to figure it out. And, 
And this book solves all of that, you know? So I think what I hoped they would get out of it was um, just sort of a, a foundation, you know, something they could put in their book bag when they're assisting their professor and literally go through, like some of it is step-by-step, step, like, okay, now we're in focus. What do I need to be doing? You know, so like they could open up that chapter and be like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do these things or I forgot I was supposed to do these things or I need to bring the focus tapes tomorrow or whatever it is. Um, just something that provided a base for them. Because I feel like when you're in... Um, when you're in school and you're assisting your professor, very often you are not a, quote, real assistant. You know, you're sort of somebody taking notes and um, you're observing and maybe you, like, updated the paperwork, you know, and all those things are very valuable. But there's not this sense of what it's like to be a real assistant or associate on Broadway where you're actually the one driving the the or the um the process, I guess. You're driving the process. You're making sure it runs. You're trying to do everything to take the process off of your designer so they can just do their art. You know, all these things that are really valuable. And so I feel like when you learn to assist in school, you don't really learn to assist. You just like are a glorified note taker in many ways. And there's nothing wrong with that because as a professor, you're so stretched thin, especially if you're also that designer. Um, so there's only so much you can do. And I've done many shows in my past school where I designed all the time where I said, just take notes. We'll figure out the rest later. Like there just wasn't the time, you know, and because there isn't that time, I was hoping this book helped fill in some of those gaps. Like the professor can say, just take notes. Now read this book, you know, <laughs> and like yeah. help yourself through the process. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I find that that's happening. Like I'll run into people at USITT or somewhere and they say, you know, thank God for your book. Cause all I could do was like say, Hey kid, read this, you know? And, um, and it was something I didn't have as a young designer or, or young assistant. So um, I hope that it grounds them in a way that they now understand what they're supposed to be doing because the, your professor might not have time to tell you or there just isn't time to mentor you through that and they want you to experience the process but they can't teach all that assisting stuff, you know, so... Uh, yeah, I think that was the one thing because for me, it sort of grew. It grew out of a post-it for me. There was I had this post-it that I kept around forever. That was one of the checklists in the back of the book now, about all the things you should do before you turn in a lighting package, and uh -huh. uh, you know that post-it became a 500-page book. So I just hope that you know that post-it was my first grounding, but it didn't really tell me anything as an assistant. It was just sort of a checklist of putting out a lighting package, and I hope that um, younger generations are reading this book and being like, oh, I'm also supposed to do focus charts. Oh, I'm also supposed to do this, that, and the other thing. And if I want a career in New York someday or a career in any big regional, like here is the ticket to opening that door, you know, because if you want to design, you should assist first, I think, because it helps you get into the process and experience what your designers, you learn from your designers work. Um, or if you want to be a professional assistant, like this is the first step to that. So I think it has a lot of different uses but yeah back to your original question I think it was just sort of giving them any sort of grounding of the process of what they were supposed to be doing in in the in the research for your book uh did you I I, I did you have a lot of conversations with other not only lighting designers but other teachers who are asked to to teach about a process or the process in truth not really like um that was the interesting thing about this book versus my second because the this one it was my life really you know I'd been living it for almost 10 years and I just sat down one June and wrote it in two months <laughs> and I was like this is the book I mean yes there was a year of editing after that <laughs> right right so, but, uh, that's amazing because I I sit there and try and write an email and I, I will obsess over it because I'm like oh dear <laughs> Did I capitalize it right? I, I was filling out school forms today and it was, well, you know, I don't want him, I don't want him to be wrong because, you know, I, does this have to be capitalized? Mm -hmm. I, two months. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> the, the editing part is where I obsess. I'll like read one sentence over and over and over and I have to read it to myself aloud. Like it takes me forever to edit. But the first draft was super simple. Like I just was like, I put an outline together and then I was like, here's what I did, you know, and I just wrote what I was doing for the last 10 years. Um, yeah. And it was great. <laughs> Sorry. It must have been one of those things where you it, it was the it was the right it was the right information. It was the right uh, format. You just and it just easily poured out of you. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so you were saying the second book, the second book you you released, uh, it's it's at least two years at, at old at this point, mm-hmm. which is on three uh, D printing. Yes, three D printing basics for entertainment design. It's called, and I've been teaching. And sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no I was gonna ask. No, I was gonna ask. Uh, how 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 did you get from 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 lighting design to to three D printing? <laughs> I know. I often get asked that. Um, you know, when I told people I was writing the 3D printing book, they'd say, what? Like, what do you print? You're a lighting designer kind of thing. Um, but oddly, I because uh, I wrote the assistant lighting designers toolkit. And that was like I said, that was my baby and still is because that's like, I don't know, just the secret to so much career stuff and for my students. But along the way, as I was as I was writing that book. Oh, yeah, I think I turned in the the that's what it is as i was writing this book i turned in the draft to the publisher or the the uh, application what do we call that i'm uh, like yeah. the, the, the 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 kind of the rough draft yeah like you have to turn in like an application that says um you know here's what a couple sample chapters here's what it would okay. be i'd already written the whole thing but i had you know some because there's plenty of work to do left but i turn that in. And then while I was writing this book, I was reading books on how to write books. (laughs) I'd never written a book before. (laughs) My mother's an author, but she's a fiction author. So it's not the same thing exactly. And so I was like, I don't know how to write books. I was reading books on how to write books. And um, the books that are about writing books, all of them said, don't put your eggs in one basket. You're, you know, you're probably not going to get published on your first book. Like, don't sit around and obsess, just move on. And you you said to hell with that. (laughs) uh, two months. I'm done. I'm dropping the mic. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, I listened. I was like, okay, well, I, this one's probably not going to happen. It's such a niche, a niche uh, audience. Are they going to want it? Blah blah blah. You know. And so I thought, well, I'll start another one. <laughs> so I started the 3D printing book even before the first one was published because I didn't oh, wow. know that it was going to happen. And the reason the 3D printing book happened is because. Um, at some point as I was writing the toolkit, I was asked to teach a scenic design class, which is crazy. (laughs) I'm not a scenic designer. Um, but you know, I had to do it in undergrad and in grad so I can teach a basic, like, here's how you draw a plan. Here's how you draw a section. Here's an orthographic. Like I can do basic, 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 basic. So I, I thought, okay, fine. I'll do that. Cause there was something with the other faculty member wasn't there and, you know how schools go. So I ended up teaching scenic design. (laughs) And I was also head of design at that school. And I said to myself, like, how can I make this more cutting edge? Like, you know, just in general, all the fields of the school, how can we make these things more cutting edge? And at the same time, got the scenic design class. And I thought, you know what we need? Oh, no, I was researching textbooks for the, the scenic design class. And I came across a 3D printing, a page on 3D printing. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this magic? You know, I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And so I started researching it. And I went to my chair and said, we need a 3D printer. Oh, my God, we need a 3D printer. It's so cool. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so he like, you know, after many months, we figured out how to get one. And then I started learning it. And then my eyes were opened to how little information is out there about 3D printing. Excuse me. And especially how little information is out there regarding the arts for 3D printing. You can find plenty of engineering stuff. You can find plenty of like, even like dental stuff, you know, like, some arts in terms of like ceramics or like that kind of thing and fashion like um, maker maker stuff yeah yeah like maker stuff but it's none of it has to do with theater ever except okay. for uh casey holtgren who is um john lee Beatty's associate she had some videos out there she's amazing uh she was a big inspiration for this book too um she has some videos and things like that like a couple of them and i was so inspired so i spent all this time trying to figure out a how to use the printer because they break all the time and mine was broken when i got it and i didn't know it <laughs> so i had to figure Whoops. that out yeah oopsie um and then b how to like translate it, that into the arts and so i'd done all of this research trying to figure that out and it was in so many different spaces that's when i was like if only this was in one place so that's why i started writing that book Um, And so I'm not printing lighting stuff all the time or something like people might think I am, but I print for class because I teach, I teach it. And so I'll print class examples and things like that. Um, 
So, yeah, so it's really more came out of my pedagogy than it did my practice, you know, whereas the other one's more practice than pedagogy. Well, now it's both, but <laughs> okay. yeah, so that's how it came to be. But it was very much research-based, the, the 3D printing book. And okay. uh, I spent a ton of time researching that. That one did not come together in two months. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine not. If, 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 if it showed up broken, you're like, oh, I got to read the instructions. I got to mm-hmm. get the parts. I got to figure about that out. But jokes on um, you. There's no instructions. You have to like figure uh, it out. <laughs> I've, I've opened up a few lighting instruments like that where, mm-hmm. you know, you get this thing and it, it's like, hey, look, buy our catalog. Okay, where are the instructions? Yes, yes. Uh, so it's like, ah, grown, grown. <laughs> and with grown. emerging technology, there's just not that much out there because it's all, it's sort of the Wild West, you know. So 3D printing, it was like, good luck. Here's a thing. Good luck. <laughs> so so in, in your classes, uh, uh, how, do you, how do you find yourself bridging the, what has continually been kind of a challenge is the, the, the understanding of art with the, the, the application of science. Because one of the things that ch- children still to this day have a kind of a fear of math or a fear mm-hmm. of of just general basic sciences. Mm-hmm. But as we, as you have shown that to understand the, the the to be able to do the art, you have to have a little bit of willingness to go into the the science of it. Because I, I I would assume that with three D printing, it wasn't just oh I just plug something in and, and something <laughs> poops out. Yeah, it's, not so much. <laughs> I, I have to understand how this works. What's what's the math behind it? How it's the same with drafting. You know, mm-hmm. is this is this? Do I understand the scale? Do I understand the photometrics? Do I understand things like that? How do you find yourself with 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 today's very technical savvy students mm-hmm. dealing with the, the 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 their approach to to the sciences? That's a really interesting question. I I think it's um like sort of the thought of a means to an end you know if you want a gorgeous show to look this way then you need to make sure you know the photometrics in order to make sure it's bright enough and big enough and you know all that sort of stuff Um, so I think it's always grounding it in reality in the same way of 3d printing if you want this machine to poop out something then you need to figure out how to draft that you know and I um I tend to go for a less is more uh, sort of teaching style in the sense that, you know, my students are digital natives. Like there's no part of me that needs to teach them to go to the file menu and pull down save, you know, like none of that. They just pick up a mouse, you know, you give them a pencil and they look at it like it's an alien, but you give them a mouse and they're like, you know, they've already learned 12 things you didn't even know about the program. <laughs> uh, which is, which makes me feel even older nowadays. <laughs> It's amazing. Like it really like it's really a paradigm shift in a way that as a professor, you have to be like, okay, this is what we're doing now, you know, Um, and you go along with them in many ways, which is great because it teaches you personally, the professor, a lot about yourself and and things, too. But um, yeah, so like 3D printing, like um, I'll use Vectorworks as the means to an end. Like I'll be like, all right, a lot of, you know, Vectorworks. So we'll just use this. Here's some 3D modeling techniques if you don't know it. If I have a costume designer in the class, I'll start over with them on Vectorworks and do some like basics. But I won't teach, I won't try to teach the whole program. I'll just try to teach like a few basics. Here's how you extrude. Here's how you might do a twist. You know, all these different things um, that are like, I always think of like, I want you to learn these seven things and then produce something. So I try to okay. think of it simple that way. And so then I feel like perhaps, you know, my students could tell me more or not, um, but perhaps it's a little more approachable because it's not this giant scary program where I've spent six weeks talking them through everything in the program. I just say, you know, learn these seven things. Now, can you build a car out of that? You know, and they use a square and they use a triangle and they use a thing and they like make a car, you know? And so it's, to me, it's more like the bite-sized approach will get them to the product. And then once they're more comfortable with that, then they can learn a little more in themsel- with themselves, by themselves, or Professor Google, whoever they want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and any advice I can give them. And then they yeah. produce something even better. And so the art builds from the basis of the technology, but I try not to make the technology too scary. I, I think I think uh, your next book should be mm-hmm. The Lighting lighting professor's toolkit because <laughs> because because one one of the things i learned because I, I i now teach in, a, in another country 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I it, bet that's very different. It it, it is mm-hmm. the, the the first thing that 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 happened was really obviously the culture shock. Right. But when I when I tried to teach my first class mm-hmm. in the first term, it was a disaster oh. because well, it was because I brought too much into mm. the room. Right. I I said, "What do you mean you don't know what this is? What do you mean you don't?" And I went and I went, oh, my, oh, my God, I have to, I have to reevaluate. And it took, it took probably a a good year and a half before I pared down the, just the basic stagecraft class to be something where it's like, okay, let, let's focus on this. Let's accomplish this test and let's, Mm -hmm. this test and this test. So that's, that (laughs) I am suggesting as chapter one. That's a great idea. for, 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 For a book. Uh, the, 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 but the other thing, uh, that this was a, this was, this has been kind of my journey with this process of learning about technical theater or theater history or the approach to it in design is in my travels, I've tried to find lighting texts in other languages, in other, Ooh, in other, in other cool. places. And I have, I have run, a, run across a few and one of the the things that I am trying to understand for myself is what what I had to learn when I moved here was I had to put my Americanness aside and say I am going to work within as best I can mm-hmm. within the framework of of, of the Trinidad culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they have a different method. They have a, the the day works differently. The the way people do things is different. Sure. So some some of the some of the processes are universal be mm-hmm. on time show up for this bring your right. tools that's all great but mm-hmm. the approach to what we're producing is is different so mm-hmm. you know if it's a pan show it gets treated very differently than a calypso show mm-hmm. um uh you know the the idea of theater it, as you and i would understand it is a little bit different here because of the cultural ties that it has to certain aspects here so the the other process that I'm uh, that has been very enlightening speaking of lighting <laughs> is being able to to see how my my what I understood of my process of lighting how how kind of it needed to be I don't want to say corrected but kind of adjusted for the fact that the common uh uh cultural heritage here skin tones and things like that doesn't match mine we are mm. talking about a broad range of it's not just like the nine colors in your basic crayon crayola crayons we're talking you know the 64 the the hundred and what you know mm-hmm. so i uh i would i would be interested to know um for for yourself you know if if as as you go along and, and you start to, to 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 look into to these things how do you feel that the the, the cultural shift for the the appearance of people on stage how do you find lighting kind of the the approach to the design changing is it changing for the multicultural stage i don't think so in my opinion you know i feel like um there's been these old rules of like if it's this skin color you use this color you know in lighting and i just don't find that to be true you know i find that like how many different colors of white people are there how many different colors of latino people are there you know like it's just like saying, like, because the set is red, <clears throat> excuse me, you'd light it this way. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I feel like it's too easy to box yourself in, you know. So I tend to light shows like I light shows. And then if there is one person who's, you know, looking too green or looking too pale or looking too whatever, then I'll adjust on an individual basis. Um, mm-hmm. But I tend to not think or teach in like I pick these colors because of x y and z you know but it's interesting what you said about um, going back to the culture thing you were talking about like um, adjusting your Americanness because I I interned in Europe as a grad student and so I worked at um, uh, opera in Lyon and then I worked at two theater uh, the Royal Opera in London and then a lyric theater Hammersmith on the east side um and uh, what did I just say? Well, on the West End. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I, New York? What am I doing? Um, but yeah, I uh, I remember that first day in France, walking in, and I was an electrician intern, and nobody had a wrench, 
And just that simple thing of like nobody had a wrench was just mind blowing to me because as an electrician, what do you have in your back pocket? Always a wrench. But their equipment had T-handles and things on it, so they never used wrenches. And mm-hmm. to tie up the cable, it was a piece of Velcro as opposed to tie line. You know, there were all these like little tiny things um, that had me adjust my Americanness. I like how you said that while I was there. And I think... Um, like you were talking about that and skin tones and design and all that, like opening up your teaching, whether you're in a foreign country or not, I think can help your students because it helps them be less, I don't know, ethnocentric or think we're doing it the the only way or the right way. Um, because you think of a company like, like an Alvin Ailey or something that travels worldwide, like how many different right. situations do they come into? And so I think it only trains your students to be more open um, when they get great jobs like that, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so, so you, we, we, we're, we're coming on the, the, the end of a, uh, of a term, obviously. Uh, so, and I've been asking, uh, I've been asking myself, uh, kind of three really basic questions. The first is what did I think that I wanted to try this term and was it successful? Um, did I try something this term? And I found that it, that it didn't quite work. And if I was to go into the, as I go into the next term, what is something that I would like to, 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 to try for the next one? Mm-hmm. So, so like, so let me ask you that, that, that first question, you, you come into a new term and you want to, what is something that you wanted to try and bring to the students this year that you found was successful? Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Cause I think I do that on a class by class basis. Like you're saying, like, you know, like I teach lighting two every fall. So every okay. time I do a lighting two, I think about, um, you know, did I do too many projects last night, last time? Did I do not enough projects last time? Did I cover the right types of and uh, like different spaces, you know, like a thrust or proscenium or 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 maybe different situations like a small low budget space versus a giant musical um so I'm always kind of thinking about the mechanics of a class and whether it's working for the students or not. And I find that I try, I've had a different lighting two class ever, you know, all five years I've been here so far, because I just find that I'm trying different things to see what works for the students. And I'm pairing that class with another class, which is kind of like a vector worksy kind of class and trying to figure out the, the correct marriage between those two courses. So I think I'm, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm just evaluating what's the best way to teach a class. So coming into a, a semester or a term, that's what I'm doing um, as I build the class. Like, is it better this way? Does it make more sense this way? And I also think about my students. You know, I have the fortunate position of, hand, you know, handpicking my grad students as you do in a grad program. So I think about, you know, my 150% is going into these two students that are coming in. So what do they need? You know, what is their background? Do they need more, you know, have they not learned enough photometrics? Have they not learned enough about the basics of a light plot? Like what do they need to catch them up to grad level positions or grad level thinking? Um, So I think I'm thinking about the the course and how it helps them as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but those are the kind of things I think about. No, no, it's it's it's. I guess I guess the, my my point is is that uh, I I'm always curious to know because you know there's only one of me here, mm. and it's 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 a challenge because the there's there's one other university here or there's a couple, but they don't have these types of programs. Right. So I'm I'm always curious as as someone who is I I, I think of myself as. I became a, a teacher by accident. I, mm-hmm. I, it it kind of happened to me. And so I'm where, where you talked about how learning the, the process was by rote. It was by trial and error. It was, mm-hmm. And I know that I'm going through that process still. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we ever stopped learning. So that's right. why I ask because that those questions got asked of me in, in, a, in a completely different thing that I was working on. Um, and so I took those questions. And I said, "Okay, how do I apply that to 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 what's going on? Did, 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 even if it's a small change, did it create some form of success? Okay, did that small change not create some form of success? And and if so, and if it if so, why not? Mm-hmm. So you know, a little bit more self evaluation. And then the the third one was, what's what is it that you want to work on next? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel that I, 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 I've always, I've begun to believe that um, I am striving to be the teacher I always wanted to have. Mm, yeah. I, I, I had some fantastic teachers, but some of them were rough around the edges. And maybe, and, and you know, nowadays we don't, we don't, we don't say anymore. Well, that's how they used to do it. You know, that that's how they used to do it. But that wasn't necessarily the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, so I tend to be a little bit more of, I'm, I'm not handing out participation trophies. I mean, I'm not that kind of teacher. <laughs> right. But, right. but I, I find it really helpful when I say, I say, I, I try and point out the success. This is a success. I mean, but it's okay to, to, but you know, we can make this a better success. You know, mm-hmm. this, it, it's not a fail. A fail is something failing, failing takes work to do as well. Yeah. So uh, what kind of uh, of encouragement or way now that you've had some a lot of experience with mm-hmm. with many many students what what is the how do you find that you you relate to or encourage students? Yeah, I think uh, I've been teaching for 10 years now and I think um which isn't that long compared to many of my colleagues I'm sure but um I tend to I don't know. What do I tend to do? Like I, I'm, I will have specific meetings with them if I feel they need to push themselves further. So that's not encouragement. That's um, sort of reality checking, you know. Right. Um, but if they're doing well, I'm, you know, I'm quick to say like great work. Or do you understand that the fact that you did that means that you're going to be successful at this? Or now that you've grasped this method or whatever we're doing that's going to really help you out with your capstone production or you know or now that you can draft like you know because I I really get my students to draft like Broadway associates so like after a semester they're killing it in the drafting world so I'm like do you understand now that you are drafting that that's going to give you success in the future because people are going to want to hire you nonstop, you know so I, I guess I try to think about it as um as always like cause and cause and effect like because you worked so hard at this that means that you're going to do well at that and um I also say to them you know the faculty are always evaluating you you know we're your first reference we're your first person that's going to recommend you to a job out here so the more you impress us meaning you know you do things on time you push harder than you know you're not just doing the quote homework you're doing something you're pushing yourself you're growing from it you're learning from it like the more you impress this faculty then the more successful positions we can put you up to and so it it only snowballs as they're in their grad program you know and that's true of undergrads too because the ones that really stand out and really like start to become on level with some of the grads like we can also recommend them for things so i think when i'm um not that i don't have times when i'm just like you know i'll tell them like gold star is kind of one of my jokes like you know great work gold star um you know i'm not telling i'm telling them things like that a lot too but when i can i try to put substance behind it like the fact mm-hmm. that you worked so because they're exhausted they've been up all night doing something you know and i say the fact that you worked so hard on this not only like impresses me at your your level of dedication but it means when you do your next show it's going to be that much easier you know yada 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 so i try to think of it that way so they don't feel like they're just because grad programs are hard you know i don't want them to think mm-hmm. they're just killing themselves just because it's grad school like i want them, them to know that they're really pushing themselves because it's going to get them somewhere and i think that's um a really important feeling for them to know that there's meaning behind all this hard work and that it's going to get them somewhere yeah it's a it's a real sharpening process yeah <laughs> yeah little bit by little bit little bit by little bit i uh i uh so the the my I, I know our, our time is uh, is not is not long. So I, I just have a, a maybe a couple more things. Sure. Um, in terms of of the the people that are coming into into your program, mm-hmm. um, I know that, and and we we've seen this that it was very male dominated for 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 quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed a, a, the trends changing that that there are more broad spectrum of students being interested in things that weren't necessarily uh well the 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 boys do this and the girls do that (laughs) have you found that that the arts have become a little bit more of a have still contain a certain amount of inclusivity and say you know what it's okay that if you want to be a costume designer it's okay Mm -hmm. irrespective of 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 who you are 
you know, have you, how, have, how have you experienced that? Yeah, I think our, uh, our program in general is very diverse, you know, many different, um, cultures and races represented a lot of women in lighting and sound, uh, where they normally weren't, um, you know, transgender students, like all, you know, the whole rainbow, we got everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, part of that might be San Diego because it's such an ex- inclusive area. California is so inclusive. Our school is especially inclusive. So I think um, I think some of that is the culture is so welcoming that perhaps students are drawn to it, which is so nice. But I know that that's not a just Southern California trend. It's happening all over the world, thankfully, or mm-hmm. at least the nation, I should say. Um And I think one of the things I'm lucky with is women in lighting, because that hasn't been something that's been as prevalent in the past. And um, it's not that I go out seeking women or something, but all of my students, except for one grad and one undergrad, are women. And Mm -hmm. so I think they feel motivated, perhaps, by having a female um, professor, you know, in the field. So it doesn't seem as... Um, remote or something. I don't really know the reason, but I welcome the reason to help. You know, I welcome to help bringing that diversity to the lighting profession because mm-hmm. I feel like in the past, um, I don't think anyone's been doing anything wrong. I think it's just we, before these generations have grown up in a, a area where it's much more um, men do this and women do this, just like you were saying. Um, I think some of that's still there. Like I was telling you, I wasn't allowed to do lighting in high school. And mm-hmm. some of my undergrads have told me the same thing. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What year is it? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. angers me. Um, but that's going away. You know, it's just it just keeps going away slowly and slowly. So I think, um, yeah, I think diversity is so important. And I think um, it's not doing one thing or the other. You just teach teach them like they're students, you know, it just doesn't matter if what gender they are, it doesn't matter what race they are. And you just kind of treat them all the same, which is always my goal. I don't think like, oh, this is a male student. This is a female student. I just think they're my lighting students, you know? Um, Yeah. And just go from there, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I, I started, I, I noticed myself, for example, when they said, uh, when we were, when I would hear someone described as a such and such lighting designer, <sighs> oh, this is a woman lighting designer. This is a black lighting designer. This oh, is a. And, I hate and, that. <laughs> oh, I, I do too. I do too. I and and some of it I understand. Like I said, I go okay. There's sort of the the there was a mindset, but mm-hmm. you know, just be like, you know, let let we're we're lighting designers. We're costume designers. We're we're sonographers. We're mm-hmm. whatever you want to call us. Give us that. But don't don't genderfy it by or qualify it. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't seem to be work for me. Yeah, um, I do hate it when I'm called a female lighting designer because I would like to I would like to think I got my accolades because of my hard work and not because of my gender, you know. And I think that the female lighting designer is sort of a look how diverse we are kind of thing, you know. <laughs> And I think yeah. that will slowly go away, too. I mean, right now we're in a place that's actually good for that because diversity is being pushed so much that it's sort of in the spotlight. But I think mm-hmm. as that slows down, it'll just become more normal, you know, more normalcy. And then there won't be these labels that come up all the time. If uh, my, 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 my final thing, um, if there was a person or uh, something that was going on outside in the, in the world of whether it be the arts or theater or design, um, uh, that you would like to, to give some, give some recognition to, is there someone, something that, uh, you feel, uh, has, you know, could use a, a little shine, uh, nowadays and be like, you know what, this person was important to me and they, they did something for me, or, you know what, they, this person did a lot of hard work and they didn't quite get the recognition and you know what, they, they mean something to me. I think, um, you know, I had a lot of really wonderful mentors growing up in the profession, and that's why I became a professor, because of how much they changed my life, and I want to change other people's lives and open doors for them. Um, But if there were one thing I think I'd want to put a shine on, it would be what we were talking about before. It would be the high school teachers and the community college people, Um, Mm -hmm. because I think in high school, I mean, that's where I had my first tech class, quote unquote, Um, and I think they're such unsung heroes by and large because they're, you know, they're like you, they're like the only person there and they're (laughs) directing the shows and choreographing the shows and building the sets and doing the lights and like all that stuff. I, 
I would not have the patience for. I just, I can't imagine doing it. And so the fact that people are out there like bringing the arts to young people in a time when the arts are, you know, basically at war, um, it's an amazing thing that they can do. And they're getting us the students that we can later polish in the grad programs, you know? Mm. So even like this, I was designing a show last week and this little boy stopped by the tech table and he was like eight or something. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you can have a job in this. You know, I started like doing the hard sell for the someday grad student. Right. <laughs> and he Absolutely. just thought it was the coolest thing. He's like, you mean you can turn on those lights? And I said, yeah, we pressed this button. I said, actually, I tell somebody to press a button. <laughs> they press the button and the lights turn on. And he just thought it was the coolest thing. So I think about that eight-year-old getting into you know junior high even or high school and being a part of the tech crew or an actor or whatever and and some poor professors like not eating dinner because they're building the set and you know I just think that's an unsung hero and and something I think I personally could never do so I'm so grateful for those people that change lives at that level to allow me to have them later in life. I I agree I agree I uh I remember getting started um, in secondary school and, uh, being in, uh, 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 I think it was like Peter Pan or something, you know, <laughs> where every kid get, can be in the show. And yeah. I, uh, I remember, I remember getting involved in that and it wasn't until junior high when I got involved with, uh, the, the music programs and they took us to see, uh, La Boheme. Mm. and uh, uh, I thought I thought this was going to be the worst experience of my life. This is going to be this is awful. <laughs> and and, you know, I sat through the, the, the first the first act. And I was like, ah, grumble, grumble, grumble. We come back in. The curtain goes up and the scenery had changed. We went from this apartment to all of a sudden. Now there's snow. There's mm. travelers. There's a horse drawn carriage. I And like you said er, much earlier, I said, I want to do that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. But oh, it's like when you first see your first scrim through. That was magic for me. <laughs> so, so we've we've talked about a lot of really wonderful things, a lot of cool things, a lot of cool people. Um, I, I know you want to give some shout out love to to your school. So I'm offering you the opportunity. Let's hear it. <laughs> San Diego State, that's where I teach. So I, you know, I love it. It's my dream job. I love the people, the colleagues, the students. I think the program's amazing. So uh, yeah, that's my shout out to San Diego State. I'm so happy that I'm part of that family and can make it better day by day, I hope. And we can, you can find, obviously find the school uh, online. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have a professional page? I do. It's annmcmillslighting.com. So So Ann with an E, A N N E, McMills. Absolutely. And, and look her up. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, uh, your, your two books? What are your two books? Uh, the Assistant Lighting Designer's Toolkit and 3D Printing Basics for Entertainment Design. So they're both available. You can get through my website. You know, you can go through my website for the links or it's available on uh, the Rutledge uh, Publishers page. And will you be at USITT in March? Unfortunately, I can't make it this year, but uh, hopefully the next time. <laughs> I'll be at Erda though. If you if you're at Erda, come see me, and then okay, probably and LDI next year. Okay, when it when it, LDI is in October. October. Yes? Mm-hmm. And uh, Erda is. Erda is in January this year. I think January twentieth through twenty third, something like that. Oh, so it's 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 almost here. Yeah, it's coming up. So I've already uh, talked to several of the potential students, you know, potentials, which I'm excited about. And I love meeting everybody there. So, yeah, if you're thinking about grad school, come see me at Erda. Or just Excellent. call. <laughs> or, or, or just call. Or just call. <laughs> well, operators are waiting for, right. to hear from Standing you. Standing by for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're showing our age. I don't right. think they do that anymore. Now it's a mm, click, click, click. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and and I, I want to say I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm glad to be able to 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 give you this opportunity, I, and I thank you for the opportunity to to be able to come into your life a little bit and learn more about not only the work that you do, the work that you've done, but more about you, the person, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know that um, what you do is important, and that uh, your aces in my book. <laughs> and I and I hope uh, more people come in and and seek out and that we start uh, uh, your next book called the the Lightning Professor's Toolbook. Yes, right. <laughs> Chapter one. 
Don't make it too complicated. <laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting me. What an honor. You know, I'm so excited you have a website because I love your Facebook page. I love all the stuff you post. And I'm such a geek about, you know, technical theater history. I would love to study it and get my PhD in it someday. So I just I love all the posts you do. Well, I, uh, I, I appreciate the I'm very grateful for the for the for the for the pub. Um, you can find uh, us the on Archiving Technical Theater History on Facebook. Um, you obviously, uh, if you found this podcast, you know that it can be found on most of the major platforms now. And uh, that's kind of it. We got to wrap it up because I got to go teach. You got to go teach. Yep. And uh, we got to we got to see you on down the road. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you have a you have a great day. You too. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener-supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.